Welcome to the Cracked Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. What is a prophet? We're getting into um, a lot of prophet texts for the next, like, several weeks. Kind of through we, Christmas, we, basically. <laughs> which is super fun and also delicate preaching. Yeah. Or not. I mean, I mean, the prophets were, in fairness, the prophets weren't delicate. Oh, I mean, no, they were not. I mean, they were... Um, they were bold, let's put it that way. The safest way I can put it is they were super bold and they um, they, didn't, they, they didn't pull any punches. Yeah. And, and partially because they weren't worried about congregations rebelling, right? Like they didn't have congregations paying, paying, you know, paying their, their wages. So they're like, listen, this is what I see. This is what scripture says. And y'all aren't doing it. Oh, well, and quite honestly, though, a lot of them didn't even have scripture. True. I mean, you know what? That's true. You know, let's, let's, let's go back and, and recognize that a lot of them. Now, the ones we're in right now, yes, they probably, they had Torah. Yeah. You know, um, potentially to work off. You know, we really don't know exactly what they were working off of at that point. We know that they had been given the law of Moses at, at Mount Sinai, but, you know, they lost that for a while yeah. because when uh, Josiah, I think it's Josiah, King Josiah goes in and starts renovating the temple, uh, finds essentially what we think was the book of Deuteronomy, and, like, doesn't know what it is. And none of the priests know what it is. They wind up taking it to a prophetess, to a woman named Hulda, and going, what is this? And she's like, oh, well, this is, this is a book of God's law. You know, this is, this is something you should be doing. So they were like, oh, well, we really aren't doing any of that now, are we? <laughs> yeah. I, so, and I, and I, I jumped ahead a little bit because I was working before we started recording on the text for next week with Micah, and, and that part of that text is basically, you already know. Right. And yet you're not. Well, and then like I said, it's, the, it's kind of a question of what, what they're operating out of. They're clear, I mean, clearly they know what the promises of God were. They knew what the covenant was. Yep. Um, they knew how they were supposed to be living, and they were not living into it. So that, that part of it, they absolutely, I think, knew what they were supposed to be doing and just were not. Yep. Um, and in, you know, in t today's, uh, or this weekend's text that we had was um, Elisha, which kind of made a jump. You know, we, we, we run from... Uh, Solomon, and actually the last prophet we heard about was Nathan and David during the whole David and Bathsheba thing. And then we skip Elijah completely, which kind of a major prophet. We, I mean, we skip in this cycle. Right, in this cycle of, of the narrative lectionary, we skip. We, we get to him in, in other years. 
But in this year, we skip Elijah and, and go straight to Elisha. And so one of the questions I posed was, what makes a true prophet? And so here's one of the, the struggles, is there are different kinds of prophets. So you get a prophet like Moses, who's, you know, preaching the word of God, but also, you know, doing some pretty impressive miracles. And Elijah, also a miracle worker. Elisha, again, miracle worker. And then the miracles kind of start to just taper off when you start getting into some of the other prophets. So when you start looking at Micah, Amos, Hosea, um, Jeremiah, etc. A lot of those prophets are not what we would consider the ones that do miracle work. They're just the in-your-face, hey, king, hey, queen. <laughs> they're, they're calling it out. Yeah. Um, this is, you're, not, you're not living the way you're, you're supposed to be living. Um, you're not doing the things you're supposed to be doing. So um, it, it becomes kind of a, it, it's not the easiest thing in the world to know what a true prophet is. Yeah, it's, it, I don't know, I don't know if it's a label we throw around a lot today. Um, I think, I think maybe we make sort of allusions to, but I, I don't feel like it's a word that, that we necessarily assign a lot. But it's, it's still, it's still kind of used. I think, I think we, we're more likely today to make allusions to it. As in, like, we talk about prophetic preaching, that kind of thing? Yeah, but I, I mean, or, I guess I'm, I'm kind of... I'm kind of tainted to our own our own civil calendar and looking out of the sanctuary at leftover election signs, right? And we, we, we you know we kind of we kind of make illusions that set different politicians are are I don't I guess we don't really use the word prophet, but sort of allude that they're kind of. They're, they're anointed somehow. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Which, frankly, is, is scary. And I don't say that based on political party. Um, I just think it's scary in general because of what politics is. Right. Um, because, because of what Scripture says and about the whole political structure, and, and you touched on this a few weeks ago, God said, don't, you, know, you don't want a king. Right. So, yeah, we do. No, you don't. Yeah, we do. No, we don't. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's, God was not in fan. God would not be a fan of Burger King. Have it your way. <laughs> that, was, that would not be God. You gave a sermon about that one time, didn't you? Yeah. Um, some variation of that. Um, but, I mean, I mean God, would not, God would not be chowing down at Burger King. 
because God was not a have it your way. And when God said have it your way, as you pointed out, like, like the worst thing God can do is say, all right, good luck, it's all yours, have at it. Yep. It's, it's sort of God saying, oh, man, like, I don't. God's, God's worst form of judgment is fine, have it your way. Yeah. yeah. Do, do, do this your way. God's worst form of judgment is Burger King. Yeah. Burger King used to be, when I was a kid, my favorite fast food restaurant. Because I, it was I, do it your way. And I think, cause I think we ate there so much as a kid because I was, you know, baseball and we were always busy and always on the run. We ate at Burger King a lot. It's my favorite fast food restaurant. Bacon double cheeseburger, like, man, and the apple pie, fantastic. But then, like... I got food poisoning at a Burger King one time. I really haven't been back since. Right, that'll do it. You have a bad experience? Yep. I feel like Burger King, of all the fast food restaurants, has really declined. In their quality of food. I am not, a, not as much of a Burger King fan anymore. Anyway, completely off the topic. Um, <laughs> well, no, we're talking about having it your way. Right, right. And, you know, when God says have it your way, like, that's, that's generally not a good thing. I, I just, I don't know. It, it's, the whole idea with the prophets are like, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to, you can do it your way. But the prophets were like, listen, you're doing it your way. And that is not, just so we're clear, I want to be abundantly clear, doing it your way is not doing it God's way. Like, yeah. And would just boldly lay it out there. As God says in Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can have it your way, but I will tell you right now, your way is not my way. Right. So... Let I, that be whatever it is. I wonder, I wonder how long a prophet would last as a pastor. <laughs> it would not. Right? Um, <laughs> they, they would have no congregation members. They'd, they'd have everybody mad. Right, right. So they would have to be a street preacher, which essentially is kind of what they were. Yeah. Um, but in terms of congregational ministry, now here's, now here's a really interesting piece. Like, for myself, and I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think for you as well, and, and for many of, you know, my seminary classmates especially, the idea of prophetic preaching is lifted up. It's lifted up as this exalted thing. And I remember, I was so disappointed, I wanted, I wanted to take a class at Howard Divinity um, on African-American prophetic preaching. Mm -hmm. um, I am intrigued and moved by Afri African-American prophetic preaching. And yet, in a congregational sense, in a white congregational sense, I don't know that that plays. Well, it's because, I mean, it works in a black church because there's oppression there. Correct. You know, Absolutely. like I said, and when you're trying to preach to a group that is not the one under oppression, they hear it very differently. Yep. And... So, so feel, well, so, so on the one hand, they feel convicted, but they also get mad because... From their perspective, they're not doing oppression. So why are we 
why are we railing against them? Why are we making them feel bad when they're not, they're not responsible for what's going on? Yeah, so, kind of thing. so I, I, I think there needs to be, and maybe there is, I don't know, uh, prophetic preaching and pastoral care. For lack, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't necessarily like that second half of that title. <laughs> but I mean, like, how you, do you... You want a class on this. Well, yeah, I want a, I want a book on it. Um, I don't think I'm qualified to write it. Um, I don't know I'm qualified to write much of anything, to be honest. Um, but, but like prophetic preaching, I think it is hugely important. It's, it's deeply biblical. It's deeply scriptural. It's deeply Jesus. And also the pastoral care element, and that is not the right word. I, I, and I, I'm, I'm struggling with what to call it. But the, the, the ability to call out and, and, and speak and preach and write prophetically and also find a way to do it that, that still challenges a congregation and also lets them feel loved. Because I think what we run into is, you know, you say those hard words, someone feels personally convicted, um, and, and good time to reiterate, I don't preach sermons for any one person individually. So if someone feels convicted, I, ha I had someone a few weeks ago say, I feel like you're preaching to me. I said, oh, I am. Yeah. <laughs> And I just kind of laughed, and I said, honestly, I said, I'm preaching to everybody. I hope that when you hear it, you personally find something in it. And also, a lot of the times when I'm preaching, I'm preaching against systems right. or things that I personally need to hear or be reminded of. And I figure if I, as a pastor, need to be reminded of those, you as a parishioner do too, because you know what? The only difference between you and me is an education. Right. Let me um, be, let me, let me. A let specific me, education. I was going to say a yeah. specific education, not to say that y'all are uneducated. Um, a specific education and, and, a, and, and a, a covenant in ordination vows. Right. Which, by the way include that prophetic preaching, the prophetic element of the justice, not, the justice the, all part. that kind of stuff. Right, yeah. right. Which, interestingly, in, in the podcast, um, Rolf Jacobson at Luther Seminary said, you know, I feel like in our denomination, they use the words of Micah, you know, walk hum you know, seek justice, you know, do kindness, blah, 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 walk humbly. Have, have to be, like, kind of ingrained in every document that we put out. right. Which, which is kind of like a, he was kind of making light of it, but also at the same time. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly yeah, with your God. Give, yeah. give, nod, give a nod that it's deeply important work. It's not just about showing up on Sunday. Well, and, and I think and part of the good. problem we have is people have a different idea of what justice is. Right. And I don't, I, I mean, are, are we getting. Are we, are we leaning too far into next week's podcast and next week's text? Probably a little bit, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't care. Although, but the problem, well, the problem is when you're dealing with the prophets, you're kind of going to deal with themes yeah. regardless. Um, so if this sounds familiar next week, then you'll know why. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
but I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about what a roll of a profit is in general, yep. um, because we're we're heading down this 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 road. And and yes, the the mica text is probably what I would say is a mantra for um, for a profit, because what was one of the things that I highlighted? What makes a true profit? Humility. Yep. Um, which goes back to my comment about politicians before, where ain't none of them. No, no. There's, there's no, no humility in a politician. Uh, I, I, you know, I almost kind of feel it's impossible to be both a politician and a prophet at the same time. Oh, yeah. And and quite frankly, God knew that in in when he, when he did go ahead and say, okay, fine, I'm going to give you um, a king. He knew right then and there you have to keep those two offices separate. So there was a certain separation of church and state, if you will, in Israel from the standpoint of the kings were not prophets. The kings were not, and part of that was because all too often kings decided that they were the person of God that um, was now divine, and so whatever they said went. And God made it so that there was, that the priests were completely separate from the kings, and so they served very different functions, and the prophet was different even from, from them. Now, every once in a while, you got a prophet who was a priest, like um, Jeremiah was... A, was a bullfrog. Yeah, he, was, he, was, he was a, the priestly class, so to speak. He was a priest, but he was, also, um, he was also a prophet. But you don't really get that in a king. king the kings don't... Basically aren't the person having to hold a mirror up to themselves. <laughs> right. Because uh, that's usually the role of a prophet, is to hold leaders accountable. And that's a hard, hard role to be in. And that's a hard place to be in. And, I, and you know, when I, you look at Elisha, it, it's, it, it's kind of funny because, so in our story for, that we had for this past weekend, so you have a foreign general and a foreign king um, from Aram, which is basically Syria, and they hear through a slave that they have captured that's an Israelite, um, a slave girl, that there's a prophet down in Israel and in, in Samaria. And, you know, she's kind of like, well, darn, if you were there, you know, you could go see, see this guy. So he has to go to his king, get permission from his king to be like, can I go see this prophet guy in, in Israel? And the king's like, okay, well, let me send a letter to the other king. And it's interesting, the king of Israel is freaking out because he's like, well, what is this, a setup? Are, are you just trying to pick a fight with me? You want to go to war with me? Because when your guy shows up and I can't heal him, what are you going to do? And starts to kind of freak out about that. And that's when Elisha is like, no, nah, no, nah, send him over. <laughs> Um, so there's, when you look at it, the, that king um, that Elisha was working under at that point in time actually kind of took a leap of faith himself in saying, okay, I'm going to let this, I mean, he, he was also kind of backed into a corner. If he didn't let it happen, um, that could have sparked a war. If he lets it happen and nothing, you know, and it doesn't work, what do you do? Um, 
but he, he lets this general come into Israel. And actually, these, these are allies, so I'm going to get into the politics a little bit for a second. Um, Syria and Israel become allies eventually. Um, they become allies because they decide they're going to take on Judah down south. Um, the, in fact, your text for next week will be after um, the northern kingdom has been obliterated. They go bye-bye. Um, and, or at least it's kind of during that time they're going bye-bye, because I think Micah and Isaiah are contemporaries-ish, thereabouts. So it's about that time that, that the north goes, goes bye-bye. Well, part of why they go bye-bye is they kind of create this coalition, Syria and Israel, to let's go attack Judah and get rid of Judah. So Judah makes a pact with the Assyrian Empire to protect them. And so that's what winds up happening is the Assyrians come in and basically obliterate both the Syrian and the Israelites, and the Israelites then are no more. They, they go bye-bye. <laughs> They're done. Uh, so it's interesting, kind of, you're seeing in, in Elisha's time, kind of this, um, this political alliance sort of taking shape with these two kings kind of working together to how can we, how can we cure my general uh, and send him to Elisha. But then, the, again, what, what Naaman wants, the general, is the spectacle, the show, the Benny Hinn, um, you, you know, behaled, <laughs> uh, the, the TV evangelist that, that's doing the, the, the TV healings, that's doing the, you know, those kinds of things. Of so one of the books I bought as part of our Festival of Tree and Lights Tree is a book written by Benny Hinn's son. Yeah. <laughs> what, do I want to know what that's about? Yeah, it's, I, I think that is the book, if I remember correctly, that kind of talks about the whole prosperity gospel and, and pulls back the curtain behind the, the huge money-making church empires, your Benny Hinn's um, and, and all of the TV evangelisms, that, that scene, um, and refocuses to the gospel. It's... I've, 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 seen him, I've seen him as a speaker. He's fantastic. I have not read the book, but I know, I, I mean, I, I know enough about him and, and his, the way he approaches scripture is so much different because of his experience in that culture. spectacle yeah. world of, that of, culture. Of, of faith. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it, it, let me tell you, it is a it is a fine line, and it is you know it's a dangerous line yes. that you you run because I, I mean let's face it when we're out there going hey you know we want to get our message out we want to do whatever when someone comes to us and and wants to platform you in some way you jump on it because you're like, hey, this is a great way for me to get my message out. This is a way to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And unfortunately, that also comes with lots of trappings. 
and lots of, of uh-uh. <laughs> because then it becomes about the personality of the person. Yeah. And this is one of the things that, and, and I'm, honestly, I'm really not trying to knock on other churches, denominations, et cetera, but one of the things I appreciate about, say, the Methodist church, um, ELCA, even the Catholic Church to some degree, with the exception of like the Pope and the Cardinals and stuff, um, is you don't tend to have as many independent pastors going, I'm going to start a church and become the big face of the church, and this whole thing is going to be around me and my my, my ego and my, my vision, blah, blah, blah. And it's a very fine line of good leaders versus that falling into that trap of yep. charismatic cult leader. <laughs> well, and, and we've, we've, had, we've had that conversation about the, um, about call and being called to a place and leaving a place and and it it's hard to leave right and yet there's the reminder that the church capital C has existed for a long time it's not just going to suddenly stop because, because you, yeah you know i left a church in gainesville or you know what i mean like right. like it's hard because you build those relationships and it's hard for different reasons. But there's also that reminder of, listen, like the church has existed for a long time. It has ebbed and flowed and, and grown and shrunk and looked different and, you know, throughout the, the centuries. But at the core, the church continues to exist. Now, individual congregations and things like that Eh, maybe not, but the church, which is the important part, right? We get we get tied up in the congregational piece of it. Um, you know, we get tied up and hung up on this is my church, right. as in the place I worship, um, as opposed to what's what's best for the church as right. a whole, the big C. Right, and yeah. and I think I think we've done a disservice, you know, by using the word church. Um, to identify buildings rather than people. Right. We should really have just kind of kept the term synagogue or something. Right. You know, gathering place. Right. Because the church is really isn't a building. It's the people. But we tie it. We tie that word so deeply to the facility um, that the facility becomes, you know, to be really blunt, it, too often the facility becomes the golden calf. Right. And it's like... If the ministry is just about facility, it's not to say that a building isn't a place where you can do lots of things. You well, can, well, yeah, and it isn't but, that it isn't necessary sometimes to do certain certain ministries, right? Um, right. You can't, but, you, you can't feed people without a kitchen. Yeah, but it can't. It can't be. It shouldn't be the golden calf that every decision is made for the best interest of facility rather than church, as in body of Christ, people, and the mission of the body of Christ. Like, it, let's not get confused. Yeah. And I, and I think we've really done a, a, a disservice, you know, but I'm going to church. Well, you're the church. 
this is just a building. Um, now, if you say, I'm going to worship, okay. So we, we had a speaker uh, at our conference on ministry. And I think the thing that stuck with me with, that, with, with everything he was talking about was that when he pointed out, he said, where was Jesus's, quote, church? Yep. Where, where, you know, it, it was most of the ministry that gets recorded is significant ministries are not done in a building. Nope, not he in the synagogue. Out and about, you know, there, there are moments he's in the temple or he's in a, you know, synagogue yep. and usually getting in trouble when he's there. <laughs> yep. You know, usually whenever, whenever there's a story about that, it's because he's, he's, he's ruffling feathers and ticking people off. Um, Maybe that's what this place is for. Well, I, I'm not sure that it's not. Agreed. The problem is, again... It's not how it's been set up. It's not how it's been set up, and when you're ticking off the people who um, basically sign your paycheck, that becomes problematic. <laughs> and, and I want to I insert here... Neither one, I'll only speak for myself, but neither one of us write sermons to piss somebody off. No. I mean, I don't. It's not, it's not the intent. And in fact, when we think we're going to, it like is like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. How, can I, how, can I, how can I not do that? Yeah. And the unfortunate part is that sometimes, though, when you're given a text... I mean, it's, it's right there. And if you don't address it, it becomes kind of the elephant in the room sort of thing where it's clear you're avoiding talking about it. It's clear you're avoiding what the thrust of the text is. And it's, it, yeah, it's, it's hard. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> It's a balance of caring for the needs of, of people and, and what they need and inspiring and whatever, um, you know, making them not feel terrible about themselves kind of thing, you know, you know that kind of thing, but also still to be a challenge. Yep. And to be able to say, okay, but what, what else... You know, where, where can we be more in alignment with where God wants us to be? So, I mean, I think that's always the struggle with our theology as Lutherans, is saved by grace, but at the same time, the goal is to be in alignment with, with God's will. That's, that's kind of the goal of what we're trying to live into. Knowing we will not do it perfectly so there's that, that balance of we're, we need to always do better, and yet there's grace. Because, yeah. as I pointed out in, in my sermon this weekend, what, when we get glimpses of the kingdom of God, those are reminders to us as well that this is not the kingdom of God in all its fullness. We're still going to die. You're still going to get a disease. You're still going to get something like that. A reminder that this world is, is 
temporal. It's temporary. It's not the kingdom in all of its fullness. It's hard to preach about building a kingdom that we cannot fully usher in ourselves and, and recognize that that is not, that is not a possibility. That's we, the, that's the, for me, that's the difficult pill to swallow right? right as a pastor. We, can't, we cannot make the kingdom of God by ourselves. It will take an act of inbreaking of God to fully transform everything. Now, in sort of an in the meantime, <laughs> if you will, God gives, well, like I said, God kind of gives, gives us the law as sort of a, a temporary fix, so to speak, of, okay, here's how you keep things in check until that time. And yeah. I want you to live as close to that as you possibly can until that time. And I think it's, what's so hard about it is recognizing we'll never get there on our own. We'll never usher that kingdom in on our own. It is going to take, ultimately, an act of God to bring it into its fullness. I, th I think when, when a lot of people leave seminary, a lot of, a lot of yeah, a lot of people leave seminary, they go, man, we're going to change the world. I mean, for me, I didn't go into seminary just to um, get rich. <laughs> uh, just to? Um, <laughs> uh, I didn't go to seminary. Wait. wait. <laughs> I know, right? Who? Who? <laughs> Who thinks they're going to seminary and going to get rich? <laughs> oh, no, Joel Osteen has a private jet. Um, Good grief. No, I, I, I didn't, clearly didn't go to seminary. Clear example of what Elisha was trying to avoid. Correct. By the way. Um, clearly did not go to seminary for money. Um, My dad actually specifically told me when I was thinking about going to seminary, was he said, you better think long and hard about that because that is going to change your lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, you, you, that is going to ch dramatically and drastically change your lifestyle. But I, I went because I wanted to make a difference. Um, and I think that's pretty common. And I don't know that you really, you fully understand what that means. So I, I, I know that that ministry has impacts on individuals. There, there's, I mean, you're invited into spaces that most people aren't, and you're able to build and cultivate relationships in deep, deep, deep ways. And, and, I, and, I, and I cherish that part of ministry. I absolutely do. So I don't want anyone to diminish that, that part of ministry. I, I deeply value being there you know, to baptize babies and weddings and bedsides and like I, I deeply value that relational and intimate part of ministry. I do. Yes. And and, 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 and that's and, and that's a Jesus part of ministry. Correct. From the standpoint of when we're talking about prophets and whatever, 
Profits don't tend to wind up being the warm, fuzzy types that are caring for your, you know. Well, yes and no. Because then you get Elijah, who, what does he do? He goes to this widow who is out, you know, this foreigner who's suffering, starving to death, and, and, and provides for her needs. So, I, I mean, I guess, you know, I'm sitting there going, well, that's not really what they do, but it, Elijah did. Right. Uh, it, Moses provided for the people in the wilderness. I mean, yep. he, he wasn't always popular with them. But <laughs> and there, were, there were several times they tried to uh, overthrow him. But um, it, it, when you think of prophets, you don't think of warm, fuzzy caring because most of what gets recorded about what they do was they were taking on the kings and, and the queens and the leaders and, and being like, y'all not doing the right thing here. And with Jesus, you get a much more, you get him doing that to, to some degree. And then you also get him providing the healing and the compassion. And, and you see much more of that side um, of, because Jesus was both the son of God and he was in a prophetic tradition. So he was following in the footsteps of what the prophets did. They healed, they confronted, they did justice and walked humbly with their God. Um, doesn't get much more humble than allowing yourself to be crucified. It's and, and and yet and yet for me, I I, I guess maybe it's a more, more of a Bonhoeffer look at it, where those those those, those intimate relationship things are, are deeply important and I value them and also there, there's there's a a large systemic issues that if we solve those and if we can make you know, the, if, if we can break the kingdom into the systemic issues of oppression and injustice, more people than just the individuals are changed. Right. The civil rights movement, for instance, had, profound, had a profound impact on black people in this country. And still does, because we're still... We're still fighting the civil rights battle. Correct. I mean, that, that Correct. didn't go away. That's Correct. not like civil rights was over and done with. We're still dealing with that. So, so going beyond just those individual relationships is something that, 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 I, that I value and struggle with because that's, that, that's where it's really hard. And that's where, that's where, the, that's where the defeat comes in, where you it's harder to see the impact of ministry. Um, and yet, that, that's the, for me, that's that inbreaking of the kingdom. So part of it, as I've, as I've you know, sort of matured in my faith, is really what, I'm, what I love working on is that, is that bringing the kingdom of God to the here and now, and not just that you know, proverbial way. It's kind of it. one of those things. Can we ever actually live the way God wanted us to live when He 
when he made his covenant with Israel. No, but damn it, I'm not going to stop trying. Right. You know, it's, right? And it's, that's, that's the piece for me. Like, like, I get it. Humanity has failed at this for ever. Well, Literally and, and forever. And the reality is, is the way God wanted people to live in, is, is he recognized that, that there, it was not going to be perfect. That's why there were so many laws and rules and, and things like that. It yep. was, I, I realize the, these are going to be problems. I just want us. So I just want us to, to fail less. Problems in this world because this is not yet my kingdom. I just want us to fail less as right. society. <laughs> I, like, I, like I, I, I'm not. I'm not that naive that I think society is suddenly in my lifetime, or especially because of my ministry. I know better than that. Is suddenly going to um, reflect the kingdom of God? But if we can work to make it more reflective and fail less. Then, then that's a win, and I mean, I think, I think for me, that's that's the that's the goal. What you know, when I was right out of, I guess it was before I graduated seminary, I, I did a behavioral interview, um, which was part of mission developer and redeveloper training, and then later did the training to be a, a behavioral interviewer and evaluator for others going into develop and, development and redevelopment. And, and really, at the core of that, one of, the, one of the biggest factors is how you deal with failure. And when I realized that, I was like, oh, like you're expecting failure. <laughs> like, you, like, you know failure's coming. And, and, I mean, honestly, that's sort of like the, the humanity portion of ministry and just life in general is that we're, there's going to be failure. How do you deal with it? Do you, do you curl up in a ball and, you know, the proverbial curl up in a ball, grab a gallon of ice cream and a spoon? which, I mean, I'm a huge, I'm a big fan of, personally. Um, or do you say, okay, I'm going to pick myself off, off the mat, and we're going to try again, and we're going to try again, and we're going to try again, and we're going to overcome and find a way through those failures. And, I mean, honestly, if you think about it, that's, that's kind of the story of the Old Testament, right? Like, like God sees failures, and, and God continues to persevere and recommit and recommit and recommit. So a lot of ministry, especially in a development and redevelopment world, is that willingness to recommit to ministry, recommit to ministry, recommit to ministry. Because the reality is, as we talked about earlier, the, the church ebbs and flows, grows and shrinks and, and evolves over time. If you're not evolving and you're not changing, you're dying. Um, but y you've got to kind of be able to pick yourself off off the mat, you know, sort of, you know, from a from a sports analogy, take the punch, pick yourself off off the mat, and start swinging again. And maybe maybe boxing and 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 church is not the best analogy, but <laughs> but I mean the reality is nice part violent. <laughs> Right, exactly. That doesn't necessarily jive. But, you know, the idea of, of getting back up again, you know, bit, duh, it's resurrection. Gee, like, why couldn't I come with a, a Jesus-y analogy? Um, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're a church of the resurrection, which means that 
there's transformation, and there's change. And that's really what the prophets are calling society to over and over. I think the one interesting thing from your text last week, um, why do I have to go to the Jordan, right? Right. I don't want to go there. And I just kept thinking, you know, there is, there is a requirement for us to engage in the process. Right. Like, well, I, I, it's not I, a passive... I don't, wa- I don't want to go there and do that. It's not <laughs> passive. It's engage- it's, there's, it, it takes us to engage. Like, literally, we can't just sit and with a gallon of ice cream and a spoon and expect things to... Ch- well, some things are going to change if you do that. Um, not positively. <laughs> um, but, you know, we can't expect to just do nothing... I mean, it's... It's a good thing. Good things uh, don't come out of that. Let's right. That it's, way. it's an engagement process with your faith and your spirituality and with Jesus that, that moves us and propels us. But you have to be willing to do something. And sometimes it's getting up and going to the Jordan, whatever your Jordan is. Um, but there's, there's an there's a action required from us. It's not just a passive... Um, and and I'll, I'll take it a step further... Just showing up, I don't think, is the action that God intends. It's at least part of it. It is. It's part it, of it. It is part of it. I mean, you know, well, it's part of it because had to it, show up and, and be told, go do this. Well, it's how you learn. It's how you grow, right? Yeah. Like, like if you're not engaging and you're not, and you're not in those endeavors, it's hard to grow. So you know, this well, is... And the also, church should be a toolbox. And that also reminds us... Um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into kind of a stewardshipy thing for a moment, um, where it reminds us that not everything that is healing and helpful and um, part of doing God's work is flashy and sexy and, yep. you know... It, sometimes it's the mundane, simple things, you know, that, that, you know, as far as how do you keep the, the, just the general ministries of the church running? Well, they're not, you know, paying a light bill isn't impressive. It's, you know, it's something everybody does, just like taking a bath, you know, it's like it's something everybody does. And yet, it, kind of needs to happen. Yep. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's like, well, do you want X, Y, and Z? Well, then you got to do these things too. You've got to do the things that aren't flashy, the things that aren't out there in the open, you know, that, that everybody's seeing and, and wow, you know, now I feel energized. No one gets energized paying a light bill. Nope. No one gets energized washing in the Jordan River. Nope. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're, it's that reminder that not everything, that there's that humility aspect to it again. Yep. Where, yeah, I'm willing to throw my money or my energies behind this ministry because, wow, you can see how it's going to take off and you can see the, you know, um, you, you can see a tangible thing happening here. And... I think it's harder sometimes to be humble and say, well, this simple little thing kind of needs to be done too. Yep. It takes and a village. Yeah. The, these simple little things need, you know, people doing them as well or the whole thing falls apart. 
you, you can't do the big flashy things if you don't do some of the little humble um, things. If that makes any sense. Yep. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're not equipped to do the bigger things when you haven't done the little things. It takes people to set up the stage before the concert. Right. He goes, oh, wow, that was a great concert. Well, it's not a great concert if the light show stinks and the smoke machine breaks and... So I used to do theater. And there's no sound. I like, used to do theater. Takes work. And yeah, I loved acting. I loved being the person that was out on stage. But a, there were many shows, especially if it involved singing, that I was like, nope, you know what? I'm going to be back backstage running sound and lights. Uh, you know, because... They need somebody doing that stuff, too, because you, the people on stage can't do it. They, they've got a different role. They're doing something else. And you need the, But they can't succeed in what they're doing unless you've got somebody behind the scenes doing some of the other stuff. Yep. That doesn't get any of the glory. That doesn't get any of the accolades. That doesn't get any of, you know, that kind of, of stuff. And you know, I've always lived in this world of I don't mind stepping out on stage and you know I have fun doing, doing that, but I'm also very much a behind-the-scenes person and what can I, how can I make somebody else look good kind of thing. And there's, there's that balance of doing both. And, you know, let, let's, so Sunday mornings, um, 11.15 service, one of us is usually back here, and now you can get mad at us or whatever. One of us is usually back here having to, to run the live stream. Yep. And, you know, you don't see us, you don't do it, you know, you're like, well, are they even in worship today? It's like, well, yeah, but you're not seeing us because we're back making sure other things happen so people at home can have a worship experience as well. Yep. And so that's, you know, and, and we have people at 930 who um, are back here doing those kinds of things all the time. Um, and you've got Altar Guild. You know, you rarely see, you know, th those people doing the things that they do. Uh, it's, it's, it's a humble service of, you know, making sure that you've got bread and wine to... <laughs> yep. Uh, to partake in for communion every every week, um, those are those are those kinds of ministries that are so necessary to the life of of a congregation, so that we can then at when we gather for this, we can kind of get ourselves ready to go do something something out there in the world bigger kind of thing. But we need all the people doing the behind the scenes work. And they are, in my view, they're not just just as important, but they're almost more important because the other doesn't happen without them. They're, they're the linchpin of what makes ministry work and what makes ministry run. Amen. So I will now get off my stewardship <laughs> soapbox. I'll probably get on one this week. Oh, okay. There you go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I have to hand it to Elisha because 
even though, you know, Elisha kind of gets a little touchy about things like he's bald and um, there were uh, some teenage kids that kind of made fun of him being bald and so he, he sicked some bears on them. I, I, I know that story when I told it, got a few gasps of, of people apparently had never read that story. <laughs> Bears. Or or were aware of um, Elisha's uh, touchiness about his his male pattern baldness. Yeah, you know. You know, um, wasn't wasn't. I'm not really worried about that. My my like great grandfather and grandfather like they had hair into their 90s like a big well, full. Well, but it also hair, highlights so. the imperfections of the prophets, right? Yeah. That it's like really you got yourself upset about that. Yep. And so much for humility and being humble. Right. And that's where I always struggle with the prophets sometimes, where it's like, okay, so there's this, he, he had this opportunity to really, you know, make a name for himself. And he was like, no. And so you're like, wow, Elisha, you are so humble, blah, blah, blah. But again, this is where the danger comes in of even going, oh, wow, look at that humility. And holding somebody up because then he's going to go and, and like maul some kids with a bear. You know, it's like, what? Yeah. what? <laughs> yep. Um, so, you know, the dangers of the trappings of, of both going both ways, kind of, so to speak. Um, and recognizing, no, these prophets were not perfect people in any way, shape or form. They're still very flawed human beings. Um, you know, Elisha gets the job he gets because Elijah oversteps his bounds, kills all the um, prophets of Baal. God didn't tell him to do that. He just does it. And that makes Queen Jezebel so angry that she puts a death warrant out on him. And that's like the straw that broke the camel's back for him. And he just kind of gives up and says, I'm done. I'm, I'm, done. I'm just going to sit here and die, and God's like, well, I'm not going to let you die. I'm going to, you know, feed you and whatever. But his ministry is effectively over at that point. Yep. It's his prophetic ministry is, he, he was, there were, there were three more major things he was supposed to do in his ministry that had to do with basically bringing down Jezebel, raising up a new king, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that winds up being what Elisha does because Elijah just kind of goes, okay, I'm done. So even, even our greatest, you know, quote, prophets that are out there doing that have their limits, are human, and they're going to mess up. And we need to remember that, that none of us, especially pastors, none of us are perfect. Nope. We're going to screw things up. Yep. But there's also, and, 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 there's also the need for accountability. You know, there's kind of a sliding scale of, okay, they're screwing up, and then there's, okay, you really shouldn't be doing this anymore. And, you know, kind of figuring out where those, um, those lines are of, okay, well, this is a screw-up, but let's, let's move on. And, oh, this is a screw-up. You really shouldn't be a leader anymore because... <laughs> Because that's, you know, you're, what you're doing is dangerous and it's something that probably will continue to perpetuate. So there's those, those, those lines and those balances. Um, right. But, but yeah, next week, Micah 6-8.
Well, Wonder, as, as one of my seminary professors said, um, Micah is a great verse. <laughs> yeah. The, all of Micah summed up in, in Micah 6 8. Yeah, we'll probably touch on I'm that. I'm going to teach week. on Micah. Oh, that's a great verse. <laughs> yep. If you know, know anything about Micah, that's the verse you're going to know. So. Yep. All right. We will talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Um, stay safe during the hurricane. Bye bye.